You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome to another episode of Music Tectonics. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors PR firm. Here at Music Tectonics, we go beneath the surface to talk about music and technology. And today I'm really excited to have a friend and a colleague with me today. Gigi Johnson is here with us from the UCLA Center for Music Innovation, where she's the executive director. She's also the executive director of Marimel Institute and has some other things going on as well. Gigi, so great to have you today. Glad to be here. I have a funny story. I have a funny name story. So I have a podcast called Innovating Music, and my faculty chair um, kept saying he was listening to it, and finally walked up to me. He goes, "You pronounce your name Gigi," and I said, "Yes." He goes, "That's how you introduced yourself in your podcast." Yes, I never knew that. And that was after the podcast had been running for a full year, which told me he didn't listen for a full year. But that's <laughs> so it's Gigi, like the movie. Uh, my it. mother, okay. my mother loved the movie. All right, good. It's Gigi. Well, it's Dimitri. <laughs> I've been called many things. <laughs> and your podcast is great. Uh, love listening to it and love all the work you do. I just remember, I think we met at a South by Southwest and just thought, wow, this is an amazing person who's got her finger on the pulse of a lot of emerging things in music and technology, but also you're such a big thinker. And I thought, we're still early in the Music Tectonics podcast. How fun it would be to have you on and hear what you're thinking about these days. So I'm just excited to have you here. Excellent. I'm a small person and a big thinker. I like that. That's good. <laughs> I didn't say the small person part. Um, <laughs> so, so Gigi, you've been thinking a lot about a new era of the kind of the music industry, the music space. And I thought it would be fun to spend this episode talking a little bit about, about what you mean by that, where you see things going. It's been so, I mean, part of how we at Rock, Paper, Scissors got into doing PR for music tech companies is just so many new things have been emerging, so much innovation over the last several years. And the Music Tectonics uh, podcast and blog are kind of in that space of sort of seeing that. So I love this idea of, of you know, how you're defining what's coming and, and looking forward to the future. Tell me a little bit about what it is that you're sort of looking at and, and what you see coming for the music industry. Well, I've been hanging out with a lot of people who are looking at these questions, and, and I tend to ask a lot of qu questions. The center tends to not be the expert. It tends to be the convener of the questions. What should we be asking to have a better future life? We look at how technology impacts the social systems around music, how we create, collaborate, et cetera. And so a lot of people have been looking at the lens of, and I know you and I were talking about how you label stuff like this, but music 3.0. There's been a great book on this. Vicki Nauman um, did a whole thing in Rethink Music's blog last year about it. And she and I and some other great folks at South by Southwest in March 2019 are going to be doing a session on music 3.0 glibly put, I'm looking at music 4.0. So I live through web 2.0, going to read, write internet, where you weren't just putting out a publishing thing, you're having a two-way interaction. And there's a lot of conversation now, including things Vicky's doing, including uh, the report that NYU just put out, along with the RIAA, looking at how the backside of the music industry has had to really rethink itself as we are now 75% streaming in the U.S. as to recorded revenue, recorded music revenue. What's the back end of the business look like to deal with all of this? And I think those are great conversations. The conversation I'm having, though, is what is the ongoing 
increasing complexity in a world of artificial intelligence, machine learning, where the data is now the king. We are the product. What happens in things like live performance? How do we think about the the jobs that are going to be existing in the music industry at companies if we're going to be having all these predictive models that are based on all these really rich, gigantic data sets? Who's going to control power in the industry if large companies are the ones investing in all of these big systems things? How does a small venue operator thrive and survive? And so we're kind of looking at the, being glib about it, the 4.0 questions, the how do we be intentional about the future direction and not have it come hit us upside the head because the technology is seeming to be predetermined to be heading in a specific direction? Wow, there is a lot to unpack there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and we're kind of starting with pieces of it. So um, the the podcast is one of my great excuses for having great conversations with people on these topics. But we're also looking at this specifically in terms of live performance as one of our lenses this year. And two years ago, I went to South By and listened to several different panels about music cities. And some of them knew each other, but they were having kind of parallel but different conversations about how the economics of live performance was changing pretty dramatically. And in some cities, massive decline, a significant double-digit percentage decline in venues. Uh, and there's been a lot of great continuing work. Um, taking a look at, does a city need a nightmare? Do you need to have all sorts of proactive public policies? And the question that I really came to is, how is streaming impacting all of this? If if I'm a, and I'm not a 25-year-old, but if I was a 25-year-old who is a passive music consumer, and I could listen to anything at all on streaming services, YouTube for visuals, um, whatever concert I could ever want on whatever device, would I be going to live performances in my local community? Or is this turning into a big festival's world where live is really struggling? So um, we're in that conversation a little bit with San Francisco. For I've had the San Francisco folks on our podcast. So they, they've got a single, really interesting set of, actually multiple set of approaches on that. But we're looking at that for Los Angeles. And so um, as uh, I'm excited, I think, that uh, as this podcast is coming out, the new event we're doing with the city of Los Angeles, the Broad, um, bootleg theater and a bunch of other folks. We're doing a half day session on the future of music in Los Angeles on February 6th, free ticket. Um, mm -hmm. But, but convening the question, um, what is the impact of all this crazy stuff going on into the live communities that make up our music industry? All right. I'm going to back up a little bit so, <laughs> so that we can get to this concept of music 4.0. Let's talk about music 3.0 and about okay. the back end changes that you were talking about. I'm assuming we're talking about, um, the shift from downloads to streaming and what the impact has been in how the entire distribution channel has had to shift from this idea of selling a virtual version of an album or single to uh, the idea of subscription or renting as opposed to ownership and all the impact that's had on payouts and also the impact that's had on access um, and, and, and just the volume, the gigantic tsunami-like wave of information. 
so that if you're an organization, you're not just getting the, well, here's how many CDs were sold through the distribution channel and getting whatever confirm, confirming data on that and then providing that at some kind of a lag back to the various other partners I'm, I'm party with, you know, taking that down to the download tracking. And now we're having these fragmented sent um, data that may or may not be accurate or complete, which is a whole other business model challenge that's going on. But what does the company look like that now is digesting and repurposing all of that information and dealing with the payout flows? Um, I mean, it, it was a business of spreadsheets, and now it's a business of massive databases that don't talk to each other and all look different. So I, I know a lot of people are wrestling with this with the Music Modernization Act um, pipeline challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't even look at the derivative um, works that are also not necessarily part of that flow. Um, but you know, now we're, we're setting the table. We're, we're, we're creating the structures and creating the ecosystems that we possibly should have back at the download era. That's more other people's conversation than mine. Uh, but but what does the company, what does the music company look like now? So so now while you're seeing some of this infrastructure come into play uh, that was kind of missing in the downloads era, and it's it's almost like streaming and the massive amount of both music and data is kind of forcing the industry's hand to like start to get a little more organized around how this data flow is happening and how these databases are talking to each other and so forth that you're saying, okay, that's going to happen. It's not fixed yet, but it's happening. You can see it happening. And then there's going to be so much data about music use. And that's where, is that where you're saying we need to look at what does that mean? Once we have all this data, clearly artificial intelligence is what's going to be used to process that information. And we're going to get new learnings about music uses and consumers and that sort of thing. Is that where you're going with this? Because, I mean, when you mention AI and machine learning, first thing I think of is music composition, which is a whole other side of it. And some of that's already happening. Um, I'm talking to also people on the film industry side of things, and there's a lot of AI-embedded editing tools and uh, visual uh, uh, composition tools that are letting people pre- um, pre-evaluate what what might be um, how something is seen. There's um, heat mapping and eye tracking technologies that are happening on the visual end of life. I know a lot of, you know, there's there's been a lot of work already happening on AI composing music. I uh, run into some of that, not just here, but I know there's a, a cohort of people all working on that in London um, and some really interesting AI driven work that's actually pretty advanced there already. Um, you know, is it that we can simplify things that are already happening? I mean, we are recording this in Zencaster, which is using machine learning to auto-level podcasts for people. And the podcasting world is already changing dramatically on some of the machine learning enhanced modes that are coming in for this glut of fabulous content coming out in the podcasting world. But also, what does a job look like? I mean, I was... Um, thinking about a company that shall remain nameless for the conversation where I was doing an office visit with them um, a year ago and the number of people who were sitting at computers with headsets on ignoring each other embedded in a spreadsheet uh, was probably two thirds of their staff. So is that what the job will be in the future with a lot of these data sets getting to be fairly massive and a lot of these processes being 
much more automated, visual. I don't know, but are we the, talking, are we talking about companies that are processing data about royalties? Are we talking about and companies rights that, and yeah, right, right. So it's more on that. It's more on that kind of like how do we manage? So once this this uh, streaming marketplace is happening, how do you actually manage the the exchange of exchange of commerce and licensing and, and that sort of thing? And what are your people going to do with their time? Is this going to be a great amplification of your average job in a music company? And so that people now need to reskill to understand how data visualization works or that this will be, you know, like digital was, you know, I'm in the digital team that you're going to have people that are going to be the ones taking care of all this great digital information flow. And then you'll have the equivalent of people who need their secretary to print out their emails. Um, and, and is it, as we already have had, um, a whole, I wouldn't say tier, but a whole generation of new companies have come up to be the new middlemen, to create the new engaged, frictionless services who move all this in between. Mm -hmm. um, the, the area where I get concerned, though, and I, I'm going to way too many uh, AI mm -hmm. and machine learning sessions and conferences, is that... Um, most of the investment going into this, the companies that have the massive data sets are some of the same power players who already have a lot of control in the internet era. I mean, investments are massively going in by Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and actually quite a few Chinese companies are spending a, I was going to say small fortune, a large fortune investing in some of these AI systems. So is this where we're going to be needing to not just have our data rentable and shareable, but this is going to be where um, we're going to have to be perpetually renting this information and this access to this information from major companies who will have the control of kind of the meta information about everything going on. And I'm not meaning to seem all that uh, uh, science fiction-y on it, but I spent some time at CES uh, last week here in January and um, I sat through an entire half day on um, uh, artificial intelligence and the automotive sector and was listening to all of the companies looking for a frictionless world where the consumer didn't need to have to know or do anything and would trust that all of their information would just be seamlessly taken care of and everywhere they went was going to be tracked and all that information sold to all of these companies making decisions across the world based on where everybody is. And, and we kind of are there now with some of these companies already knowing what I listen to, what I do, where I am, what I buy next, uh, what I link to next on my smartphone, who I talk to next on my messaging, um, may or may not listen to my, and I'm, again, I'm sounding very conspiratorial in this stuff, but this is already in many ways happening in a lot of these services and systems. What happens in a very um, augmented intelligence-led music world who owns all this data, who is able to digest it, and who gets the benefit of it. I mean, it's interesting as you're talking about all these things. At first, I thought, well, we're sort of talking about the the labor force of the music industry when you talk about people sitting there at spreadsheets and having to parse that independently, um, and and sort of hinting at, well, that's going to get taken over by 
um, you know, computers or robots or some sort of uh, uh, machines that deal with artificial intelligence to process that information. But then I was also thinking, well, what are we talking about in terms of music creators? How mm -hmm. will this impact musicians? And, uh, and then I was thinking when you talk about data and all the big companies having access to this data and our movements and our likes and our recommendations, all this kind of stuff, then we're looking at the consumer. So there's, there's three different populations that we're talking about, and I'm trying to figure out which one we should dig into in this conversation. <laughs> and, and a lot of it is just trying to ask the question to not realize it's not a foregone conclusion. And, mm. I, and I do think there's business models that are really creative and fabulous to proactively do stuff with this. Um, but it's going to allow the segments of people's jobs that are mundane, but that to have that so you can spend more time on other creative tasks. But I, I was talking to a group of um, IT students at a university last night and commenting that some of the things that might have been an entry level job in the past for them as an intern, et cetera, some of that might be automated. So what is it that you actually can bring in and find your way into a company as a new person with new skills uh, and what type of people do we need to supplement existing workforces with? How, how am I training my students? I mean, we have a music industry program at UCLA and I have the blessing and fabulousness of being able to teach those really fun, charming, creative students. But what do I teach them? What, what are they going to need to know? I teach them a lot of data science stuff, way more than they need um, so that they're able to be high value when they walk in the door of, any type of music company and that they understand what's BS in the current world. Uh, but, but what is it that becomes a great superpower other than identifying or being a great talent or working with great talent? How do you understand what the marketplace is doing and where the opportunities are and what the audience is doing? And, uh, and I find that where we're going on this could be really interesting. Um, it, it, looking back at the, uh, future music in LA work we're doing. I'm, I'm having questions to venues. How are you, small venue with, you know, not that many seats and not much staff able to wrestle with knowing who your audience is versus the large companies that are um, creating very large um, data science teams and hiring some of my students for them? Um, how do you as a small club know what your audience is and where to find them? Yeah. So are you envisioning there might be a time where only large companies will be able to successfully predict a successful concert booking as a result for their market? I think it's who owns the data and has access to it. I, I see a lot of smaller companies creating access to data, ability to maneuver and manipulate it and working with great companies on that. But I see that um, the larger companies will have a benefit um, of scale and knowledge and breadth. And um, a lot of them have been investing into this pretty heavily now um, so that they have their ear to the ground on future trends. I mean, it used to be that we, you know, would be waiting to find out what happens. Now there's tools where we could know what happened yesterday across the different marketplaces. And um, I'm aware, but mostly from the outside, that larger companies are paying for different access than smaller companies and having access in a different way to some of these existing data sets. Um, but there's tools and systems now, uh, PEX is one of them, where you can find out what happened in the last hour and look for trends happening on the web and that larger companies are investing into having that digital ear to the ground as well. So um, I I'm concerned on, on, on a positive way with all those fronts is to be kind of open and talking about this question. 
um, if, if all of our data and behavior is now on a rental basis, we're not going to own stuff. And so our, our business model is a leasing or rental of our time business model. And that we're going to have freemium models where it's patching advertising and action to it, as well as having all sorts of predicted models. Um, what is the relationship of a happy, thoughtful consumer? What is the relationship of a happy, thoughtful creator? What would I want to do as an entrepreneur in this space? Or how much of this will be controlled by very few people? Hmm. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see. I, 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 um, I mean, I'm still thinking about the small club uh, kind of as an example to dive into and, and just wondering if maybe in some ways they may operate in a, in a crevice that will last longer um, because there's more of a direct relationship with their existing kind of audience base that a lot of clubs will be specific, especially smaller clubs will be specific to a, a, a certain style of music or a scene of some sort and that they may be listening to other indicators um, about kind of what music is emerging, what's going to connect with their audience and so forth. And then of course, maybe more tech savvy ones are going to be looking to read signals from social media networks where they can kind of geo target their own local market. And in a sense, they're tapping into somebody else's intelligence of some sort uh, to, to see like what's going to resonate locally and make guesses about their business risk. Cause every booking is actually a business risk, right? They're going to put money on the line for the artist and put money on the line for marketing and any overhead for every show they do. So I, I do wonder if some of that stuff will exist in a crevice uh, that won't be directly affected immediately anyway, unless we're looking at like large corporate takeovers of all venues and every live performance. And then, uh, well, and I think it's, it makes, sorry to interrupt on the return on this, but what's interesting is what we're kind of seeing with the work we're doing so far. And we're in an early stage on the work we're doing and music city studies have been done now in quite a few cities across, not just North America, but Europe and other places. And, and what we're seeing is there's a new type of venue that's been growing. There's, um, and, and, LA has been, how you define LA is always interesting, but LA has been actually growing as to clubs and venues, a lot of pop-ups, next generation, new venue owners, people who are creating or growing groups of venues that are then working together for marketing. Um, I think there's the opportunity for consortiums or groupings of smaller clubs to be working together, um, that it's you know, not dissimilar to what's happening in the restaurant and other businesses where there's all sorts of combining tools to help people make decisions on marketing, booking, other things. Um, but it, it's it, it's getting to me that there's new opportunities coming up to sort of re-coagulate the audience and understand them and let them know of what's going on. Um, in Los Angeles, we're having a lot of struggles with our local magazines and newspapers where you used to find out that there were events happening. And instead we've got whole new groups of online tools that are helping people find things. I think that, you know, just like the streaming side, we're replumbing the live music scene. Um, and I think LA's, and this is the interesting work that we're really still on the front edge of, and we're doing a whole interactive map of uh, music venues in Los Angeles to help with that conversation. Um, with one of my fabulous second year computer science students. A lot of this is the fact that the, the live side isn't talked about much, or if it is, it's the festivals. 
And what's really happening in terms of growth and incentives and policy issues and all of that um, is is kind of up for grabs right now. And it's an ex- interesting area to look at, but it's it's making I'm seeing folks having to sort of rethink what is the internal plumbing of our business? Who do we work with? How do we get information? How do we expect that our audience finds us? And how do we find the audience that really doesn't know that we exist? Or how do we find great artists? And all of that is getting rediscovered. It's it's kind of intriguing. Yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if the access to the data that you're talking about is kind of uh, accessible to players of different sizes. I mean, because because that's sort of the p- picture that could be uh, seen from this painting of this conversation is is that yeah. it's really an isolated you're uh, kind of a, a a powerful group that has access, which then makes it even harder for for others to have access to. Or that there's inform- an economics of access. There's always been an economics of access, but that you know, are you negotiating data with your dis- distribution deal? Are you getting the data back? Uh, that you can actually, I mean, you work with a lot of artists as well as technologies. Are your artists that you're working with in marketing getting their data back from all the silos that they're getting their content out in? Yeah, my sense is, is not. And and I think that's that's part of the, the you know, your, when you talk about music 3.0, that this, the backend's changed because of the new service. I don't think it's done. It's not, it hasn't gotten there yet. I think there's a lot of market pushes towards transparency, which will continue to, um, hopefully get more data to the artist level or the manager or label publisher level, um, depending on what kind of team you're talking about. But, um, but I don't, I don't think it is, I don't think it is there. I mean, you know, everyone's got all these pieces of the the pie that used to be divided into different roles that could go back into one person, but they're getting paid different amounts for different aspects of their, um, license, you know, whether it's, whether it's the composition of the recording and, you know, depending on what deals they had with, with recordings, with which record labels, it's hard to actually parse out well, how much did I get paid for this song or this album? Because it, you know, there's so many different silos, like you said. Um, but I, I think, but, uh, but then who I, that was, that's listening and are that, so that same person who is listening on SoundCloud, which you may or may not be get actual, which actually you can get some interesting granular to the individual metrics out of, but not the cash flow necessarily, um, down to the, you know, is that the person who's listening on YouTube? Is that the person who's listening on Spotify with their different passwords, logins, et cetera. And then how do I get them to do anything? Um, because they're sitting in all these different tool sets and we're we're getting contact them. Yeah. We're getting back to putting together your contact and email lists and, and, you know, or am I using Superphone or how do I connect all these things together? And then how do I work with a local venue that's concerned with a a single or group of nights with me? Uh, It's getting to be both uh, sort of magic art and skill to be able to take all this and put this all together. So Gigi, if if you were a musician listening to this podcast, what would you be thinking about for how to prepare for this emerging era uh, of the music industry? Uh, it could be on the composition side or it could be on the kind of rights and monetization side. I have really cool friends. No, um, <laughs> I, well, that's what I actually see on, on my own students because I have a lot of them have been... Um, playing professionally for years. I've got kids on the backside of label deals walking into my classes trying to figure out what they do. And and a lot of them, it's that they, 
that they're realizing that if they're both musicians and fa- have fabulous data skills, that they have a really lovely stream of revenue that they have in helping other people. Uh, and a lot of it is that this, that you've always needed people around you who've got the superpowers to build out your business. You may not have seen it that way as an artist or as a composer, but you've got people who help you find your audiences and make sure people know who you are and are pitching you for public relations and things like that and making sure that the information of who the audience is that loves your work knows how to find you and um, I'm, I'm finding the ability for people to create businesses to help the artists that they work with do this well um, it's it's a combination of, of the industries who you know part, but also what you know. And can you build systems that save people time and energy and find the right combinations? Um, I, I, I have an issue with this, though, that the, the current market makes this look like that anybody can come in and just do this. And it's mostly, you know, it, it's not skill, it's luck and it's breaking the right way, which is a piece of the puzzle. But the the level of of hard work and grinding that it takes to make this all come together with the right team of people is almost invisible to some folks. And and the skills needed are changing, though, and amplifying about being able to understand all this stuff um, and and making sure people understand what's happening is, is a big part of my mission to have the, again, convene it, have the conversations around, here's what's happening. Are you where you want to be? Are you supported the way you want to be? Are you seeing what's happening in the marketplace? Are you demanding your rights and your data? And are you understanding the audience who loves your work or where they're hanging out right now? Sounds like uh, a lot of this advice is good regardless of the era we're in, in this particular era uh, that we're uh, kind of evolving into. Um, I, I think the, the biggest takeaway is uh, that data is going to play a, a very strong role and and the economies or the economics of data will be interesting to see. So maybe the maybe the advice for for musicians that are listening is to uh, is to become familiar with the data surrounding your your music and your career so that uh, as there's shifts in how that data is being used, you can start to understand what the implications are, how to get access to the data um, and and then maybe what are the tools to to, to analyze and perceive what the, what the data actually means. Um, so I teach a advanced marketing class for musicians at UCLA and every year it's different. We teach it in the spring and we have 10 weeks where we start from most of my students, not understanding even how Google works to launching full marketing plans, um, websites and social media launches. And I'm always surprised by, first of all, how it, so changes year over year as to tools that are available. But the fact that you can, if you really want to, like crawl in the backside of SoundCloud Pro and find out every single person who's listening to your songs and approach them with a direct message. And my students will do that sometimes, which just seems so scary, creepy that someone's going to crawl in and tap you on the shoulder and say, I understand that you listened to my song 256 times. What were you thinking about that? But I'm really amazed at that then the conversations that they build with the people when they tap them on the digital shoulder and how much of the opportunity is really tapping people on the digital shoulder to say, hey, I recognize that you love my work and I would love to talk with you about how you found me. And some of that stuff that used to be the sitting down and just talking with the fan you can do on the digital side. 
but how this changes so much year over year right now and how just understanding how to learn the changes and, and finding people around you can figure this out if you can't tends to be what I I push people at pretty hard. Excellent. Are there are there any other tools that you're seeing emerging that uh, people that are kind of interested in what's you know what's on the cutting edge of of uh, how the music industry is operating, uh, whether it's marketing tools? I suspect a lot of them are marketing tools. Are there any things that you're hearing a lot of buzz about that are things that that people that are listening might want to check out? Um, there's a lot of tools that have grown over time to get music pre-saved ahead of a Spotify release that people are leaning on pretty hard right now. There's, I'm, I'm still a fan of chart metric in being able to look at patterns, um, in what, how various playlists are going. And I know that's still a, in its startup mode, uh, as it's moving forward. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a big fan though, of looking at multiple sources of data and understanding the differences between the different avenues, um, and making sure that you just have your base information information and fandom out. I just know that when we work with artists, either students as artists or venues or clubs or whatever we're doing to analyze it, that before we crawl into the data, there's a an assumption of who your fan is. Sometimes people assume it's somebody just like themselves. And uh, I've had just uh, amusing anecdote after amusing anecdote of people who then take a look through all of their social media and streaming data and everything else and suddenly go, well, my fan is a 17 year old boy and I don't know how in the heck he's finding my music or in, in what, you know, one of my students, a uh, phenomenal tenor. Oh my gosh. Assumed that everybody who loved his music was like him and it instead it's a bunch of 55 year old women. So, uh, <laughs> You know, understanding who loves your work and and what you're putting out there that makes that happen to me sometimes is just half the battle and getting your arms around the basic tools to say, who's listening, who's loving, who's sharing, and how do I connect with them? That's that's really cool to hear those those examples that are kind of around unexpected age or gender of the demographic of the listener, because I've heard some great examples of artists um, finding out that their biggest user bases are in a country they know very little about. Oh, no, we see that all the time, all the time. Gigi, this has been fun. I mean, I, 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 um, I'm kind of like uh, still trying to process a lot of what, you, what you, a lot of the questions <laughs> you, you said on the table. Um, and it, it's been a lot of fun. Remind us again, what's the, uh, the future Los Angeles event you have coming? What's the date and where is it? So the first one, and I say it this way, cause we're having one. Um, it's the city of Los Angeles department of cultural affairs and the broad and boot, uh, bootleg and ourselves February 6th. And you'll be able to find that on Eventbrite as of when this podcast goes live. And so people can sign up. There's only 200 tickets. They are free. So I assume they will go really fast. We're going to have a follow-up event on April 11th at UCLA that is going to be looking at the future of music and technology in Los Angeles and featuring a bunch of tech companies. So glad to talk to folks on that. And so there's lots of other things happening. Um, There's actually a bigger event in Los Angeles called Compose LA that is matchmaking a bunch of uh, venues and companies and organizations to take a look at the creative side of music composition in Los Angeles. And the February 6th event is a kickoff for that. Well, great. Lots of great stuff happening in LA. And people can listen to your uh, Innovating Music podcast. At all the major podcast locations. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and everywhere else that you love to listen to podcasts.
And is there anywhere else, uh, another platform where people should be following you to, to see what you're up to? A um, website? Or wow. So, um, innovation.schoolofmusic.ucla.edu will find me at the UCLA website. Um, Gigi Johnson uh, or Gigi, uh, Gigi Johnson on uh, on Twitter, as well as Music In of UCLA. What a terrible handle. Sorry about that one. Uh, but um, and findable on um, LinkedIn and various other places as well. Great. Thanks again, Gigi, for joining me. Um, looking forward to tuning into more of your podcast as well. And going to hopefully have you on our podcast soon. We will also make that happen as well. It sounds great. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Music Tectonics. Uh, make sure to subscribe and uh, stay, stay tuned. We're, we're trying to post a, an episode every week and uh, look forward to um, hearing your ideas for what other podcast topics and guests we should have. You can find me on uh, rockpaperscissors.biz, B-I-Z. If you want to sign up for our email newsletter, go to musictectonics.com. We'll, uh, we also have blog posts there and, and uh, updates on the, the podcast and events we're involved with too. So look forward to seeing you out in the, uh, in the music tech world and thanks for listening. You're listening to Music Tech Talks.